Welcome to the Heart for the World Church Sermon Podcast. It is our desire that you will be greatly encouraged as Pastor Dale Walker and others bring a fresh word from God directly to your heart. Be blessed. If you'd like to look at your, your sermon outline, um, I wanted to, to read this. On June 15th, 2012, Nick Valenda walked a tightrope that was suspended over Niagara Falls. The 1,500-foot steel wire could not be stabilized, so it swayed back and forth. It dipped 35 feet, so he had to walk downhill, then uphill on a soaking wet wire that was six centimeters wide. Nick held 11 world records, including a wire walk over the Grand Canyon. Niagara Falls, though, presented a unique challenge. The waterfalls produced a constant mist. You have 60-mile-per-hour updrafts and side drafts, and the deafening sound of 600,000 gallons of water cannonballing down 167 feet every second. To prepare, he used an airboat to produce 90-mile-an-hour gusts and fire trucks to hose them while he was on the wire. And Wikipedia said he inched his way across the slippery wire, praying and praising Jesus Christ as he went. (laughs) Now, I love that picture because it's telling you how to get through a pandemic. <laughs> and and, it, and it's, it's so powerful to, to know that in the middle of times of fear, we don't have to look back and wish it was the way it was. We don't have to look to the right or to the left at all the scary things that could happen. We get to look to Jesus who says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'm going to bring you to the other side. There are so many testimonies of people in this time who walk the wire of faith. Who refuse to give in to fear and panic. And have seen God. I just, I'll have to have you share it with uh, my, my son-in-law, uh, Joe and Anna. And, and how they were employed, unemployed. He was unemployed eight months during all this pandemic. And the miracles God did to provide. And now God's provided a job and they made it through. There's so many testimonies. How many know God is faithful? Even when things are falling apart around us. Hallelujah. And, and I love this picture of walking the wire. And it not only applies to walking by faith. I also believe it applies to what we've been talking about the last six weeks, walking in unity in a time of division, walking as unifiers in a world of dividers. Someone called the present time we live in the us versus them era. (laughs) How many agree there's a lot of division right now? And God has called us in, in this crazy time in which there's always this side, you know, is back and forth. It's not just, you know, Democrat, Republican. It's, uh, it's fear or faith. It's, it's science or religion. It's, it's are you going to be, use your, claim your American freedoms? Or are you going to be safe? I mean, how many have run into some tightrope situations within your own family? where people are on both sides and, and, and there's tensions that seem to be building all the time wherever we go. And, and it would be so easy to just fall off the wire of unity. But how many know God has prepared for us as Christians this amazing ground in Christ so that no matter what we differ on, we can walk together in Jesus Christ, amen? Now this is so important because I believe that what God is doing in this season, like never before, he's trying to unite the body of Christ so he can show the world who he is, so he can reveal himself. I had this picture. I don't know if this will work or not, but I brought a puzzle with, you, with me. And, uh, and you know what I thought of? Each one of us, the Bible teaches us, are, are pieces of a puzzle. And... Uh, And yet, we may be awesome, but how many know by ourselves, we're not the whole picture? And and together, though, the Bible says when the church is united, there's a picture of Jesus that the world can see. But to unite, some things have to happen. We got to come out of our box. We got to say, hey, I I got to find you, and, and we may not fit all that good right now. So I may need some, I may need some adjusting, 
And, and we're gonna have to give up our agendas and we're gonna have to find a way to listen. And we're gonna have to find, and in the end, we're gonna be a picture of Jesus to a divided world that gives them hope and peace and power. And so I wanna talk to you about a walking the, the wire of unity. Walking, especially through what I'm gonna talk about as as learning through unifying conversations. How many know there's a lot of divisive conversations going on right now? <laughs> I saw sort of a funny meme, and this, this old guy, he's kind of yelling, and his wife says, quit arguing. And he says, I am not arguing. I'm just telling the world as loud as I can that I'm right. <laughs> How many know someone who talks like that? <laughs> and, and there's a lot of ways that people speak today that are causing division. And God wants to, to teach us a new language. It's called the language of unity. It, it's the language of healing. And I believe that as we learn it, we're gonna get across some really scary canyons of disagreement. Some of you right now are in a season where you're going through a disagreement with someone you love, where literally your friendship is on the line. Uh, you're going through something in your family where there is, there's conflict, there is difficulty. And, and, it, and it's easy to say, boy, we're not gonna make it across this, this canyon. But I want you to know you can make it across. God has shown us in his word this, the power of a unifying conversation, which I wanna talk to you a little bit about today. In fact, there's some things that God wants us to know about times of tension. Number one, God can bring healing to broken relationships. He can turn mess-ups into make-ups. <laughs> I, I want you to know this because we're going to look at a story in just a minute about Abigail. This is an incredible story. Literally, I, I'm going to tell you about how something that started off to be a murder ended up to be a marriage. How many know that's a miracle? <laughs> God can, can take situations where people are so hurt and God can show up in that hurt and bring healing grace. Can somebody say, I'm a witness to that? God wants to do things in our relationships. Number two, this kind of unity God often forges in the fire. God often uses a good disagreement to make us closer if we choose the right response. Look at Proverbs 27, 17. I love it. Uh, 20s, we have Proverbs 27, 17. Read this with me. As iron sharpens iron, there it is. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You know what the Lord's saying here? When we have disagreement, there's an option to using our sword to cut somebody off. <laughs> we don't have to cut them off. We can become sharpened through the conflict. We can get better. We can, we can learn more. Um, our, our, our differences can grow us together. Some of you don't look very convinced. You need this sermon. I'm telling you, you need this sermon, all right? Um, again, I had a vision early in the church. There were a lot of people in the church having relational issues. They were arguments and people quitting their life group because somebody said this and all of that. And I, just, I was just praying, Lord, what's going on? And he gave me this sort of funny picture. He said, he showed me a sack of potatoes, and he said, I'm about to turn a sack of potatoes into mashed potatoes. <laughs> but it's going to take a little mashing to do it. <laughs> and I'm going to use the tensions that people are going through not to break them apart, but to unite them together, to work in through those situations to bring them maturity and unity. To do this, the third thing is that we're going to have to choose what we've been talking about as the third option. What is the third option? We've been saying uh, the normal option is I win and you lose or you win and I lose. But the third option is God wins and everybody wins. The third option is the option of honor. That through the, through the practice of biblical honor, God can Restore us and heal us. Look at this verse in uh, Ephesians 4.15. This is our, kind of a key verse today that tells us how to walk the wire into unity. 
Read it out loud with me. Instead, speaking the truth in love. Let's say those words again. Speaking the truth in love. Circle those two words in your Bible. We will grow. Somebody say grow. To become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Notice he offers a third option. How many know usually when there's a difference or disagreement, the natural, the natural option is, number one, to blow up, <laughs> or number two, to clam up and give up. <laughs> but God says, I have a third option. It's called grow up. <laughs> you see, can, can you agree with me? None of us like conflict, all right? Just, just not. Well, two of you say, I love it. No, but most of you say, I don't like conflict. Why? Because it brings out the worst in us. A number of years ago, I was pulling into the shopping center, and I'd been waiting for this perfect parking place. And there I was in my old beat-up car. And just as the car, other car leaves, this, this dude in a shiny car zooms out of nowhere and gets my parking spot. I said, this is no problem. I will just run into his car because my car's a piece of junk. And I was like, and then, you know, I see the headlines, pastor has to be taken down by city police. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God I got through that one okay. But how many know we don't like the conflict? So some of us just get mad, and some of us just get lost, and some of us stuff it down. But all of that does is divide us more. And God says, I have a third option. I'm going to teach you. He says, I want you to learn how to speak the truth in love. Say it with me one more time. Speak the truth in love so that you can grow up in all things. I believe with all of my heart, there's no more important decision you will make as a Christian than how you will handle conflict, whether you'll give up or grow up. Because it's going to happen. And, and if I could look at the Christians I know, I could, could trace their life based upon how they responded. I've known people who jump from church to church. If someone doesn't treat them right, they just become, you know, vagabonds. They're gone. They never get plugged in. They're people who jump from relationship to relationship. People who withdraw into isolation. But I'll tell you the people who become like Christ. They're the ones who stick in there. They work on it. They get through it. And they get better. You see, a lot of people have an illusion about relationships. They think, boy, I'm going to find that perfect person. You know, I, I counsel a lot of people but when they're looking for a spouse. And they say, you know, sometime, someday that perfect guy is going to come into my life. Or that perfect girl. Or someday I'm going to find the perfect church. I always tell them, if you ever find the perfect church, don't join it because it won't be perfect anymore. You know? but, but I'm going to find this, this awesome person. And I say, honey, I love you. You're not going to find him. He doesn't exist. And if he did, he would find out all your faults and he'd go look for somebody else. <laughs> you know what you're going to find? A very imperfect person. And you know what's going to happen if you choose to grow in that relationship through all of the hurts, all of the struggles, you're going to make that relationship. It's not going to just be the perfect. You're going to make, and it's going to be your most crowning achievement in life. I didn't clam up. I didn't blow up. I grew up with my spouse. I grew up with my church family. I grew up with my friends into full maturity in Jesus Christ. That's what God has for our life. And so what does that mean? We see these two sides. We see its truth and its love. We see, as one author called it, personal caring and honest candor, or being kind and being brave. Now, how many of this is really tough, right? Most of us tend to go one side or the other. We're, we're kind and we're nice, or, or we, we just tell you what we think. But we, we, how you do that, and let me just say about that, is that this is how Jesus taught us to walk. 
don't you love this about Jesus? No one ever loved people like Jesus loved people. And no one ever said harder things to people than Jesus said to people. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Look at this verse. I love it in John 1, 14. Uh, it describes, it said, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of, say it with me, grace and truth. Isn't that great? Full of grace and truth. What if this became the test of air? What if every Christian, before you put something on Facebook or posted something, you said, wait a second, is that full of grace and truth? Is that truth or my opinion? Is that right or is that going to make someone who sits on the other side of this issue feel ashamed? Is that, is that grace? <laughs> is, that, is that just my flesh? What if we actually tested? Is what I'm about to say full of grace and truth? Now, this story... If you have your Bible, you can turn to 1 Samuel 25. It's an incredible story. This is a story of a lady named Abigail. She is a genius. She should give a PhD course on conflict resolution. She is the most brilliant person at relationships that I have ever read about. And uh, I, I spent a lot of time. In fact, I was going through some resolution issues with somebody, and, and that's where I turned to Abigail, and God used it in a powerful way. That's why I wanted to share on this story today. Just a, just a little background before we read. Abigail was married to a wealthy grape farmer and shepherd named Nabal. And this was during the time of David, about 1,000 B.C. And you, what you got to know about Nabal is that he was a total narcissist. His name means fool. How many, glad you didn't call your kids Nabal. <laughs> Come here, fool, whatever. But in the Bible, names have a lot of significance. Now, what is a fool? This is, this is really interesting. Henry Cloud, in his commentary on Proverbs, he defines what Proverbs says a fool is. A fool is not someone with a low IQ. A fool is someone who can never admit they're wrong. A fool is someone who will not adjust to truth when truth is spoken but will demand truth adjust to their vision of reality. And the Bible says they may be brilliant intellects, but they're narcissists. And he says, there's no use talking to a fool in his folly. Jesus called it throwing uh, pearls before swine. That's a whole other issue. He says, not, not even a, there's not even a, a worth talking to a fool because all they're gonna do is turn on you because you're not giving them the narrative that, that they want. So she was in this situation. Now, David at this time was a fugitive because of Saul being jealous of him. David would become the greatest king of Israel. But during this season of his life, he and 400 of his battalion, his men, were wandering through the wilderness. And they were, on, they were running from Saul. And to make a living, they would act as protectors of the different uh, fields and farmers of that part of the country. And they had protected Nabal's work and it, from bandits and so forth. And now it was harvest time and, and sheep shearing time. And David sends this delegation to Nabal um, to just very politely and courteously ask for, for, reim, for, for reimbursement to, to get some food. They're hungry and they need some food. And so David's entourage shows up. Nabal not only says no, he insults them. He, in the most despicable way, he tells them that they're worthless and that David's a crook. And I mean, he just, he just completely shames and dishonors them. When they get back to tell David, David is incensed and he decides, I'm getting revenge. And David literally says, you know, God do to me more if, I, if there's a single male among them still alive by, by tomorrow morning. And he, he's starting 
his, his march towards the camp. And some of the, some of the, the, the servants of Nabal come and they know there's only one reasonable person in this whole group. It's called, her name is Abigail. <laughs> and they go and they plead with Abigail to do something. So let's start there. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us. The whole time, we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do. Because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one could talk to him. <laughs> um, don't you love this? You, you can have a toxic relation at home and God can still use you in an incredible way. <laughs> Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seas, roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of, of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. Isn't that smart? Okay. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. David had just said, it's been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. Now, when Abigail saw David... She quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention to my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift, which your servant has brought to my Lord, be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God, but the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as sure as the Lord God of Israel lives, if you had not come to meet me, not one male of Nabal would have been alive to get today. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. Now, I want you to see this incredible story because the rest of the story is uh, when it's all over, Abigail goes home and, and tells Nabal, waits to, very respectfully, he's drunk, so doesn't talk to him at night, waits till the morning and tells him what, what he's done, and he just flips out. Well, long story short, he has a heart attack and dies. <laughs> and about a month later, David sends this entourage with a proposal to Abigail, and she becomes his wife. Now, how many know only God can turn something that starts off a murder into a marriage? <laughs> That's what God can do. Now, I want you to see, because we've, we've, this is our last teaching on this, but we have been trying to show you what honor looks like, because honor changes everything. Honor changes the atmosphere. Honor changes hate into hope. It, it breaks the bounds of Satan in so many ways. And this is the perfect example of that, of how God used the honor of some woman in such an incredible way. It changes history. What is so fascinating, don't have time to go as deep as I want to, but the next chapter, 
uh, David's going to meet Saul and has the perfect opportunity to kill him. Guess what he does? He doesn't kill him. <laughs> In other words, not only does honor save the life of a whole family, but honor gets sown into another heart that gets sowed to another generation and changes all of history in an amazing way. I want you to see these observations, five reconciling choices you can make when your relationship is at a dead end. Number one, choose to act bravely and quickly. The first thing you see about Abigail was that she was brave. Can I tell you, everyone who reconciles relationships is brave. You see, most people, when they're offended, when there's conflict, you know what they do? They talk about people, but they're too chicken to talk to people. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I've been hurt. Oh, put it on Facebook, whatever. <laughs> Friends, that's not brave. Jesus said in Matthew 18, if your brother offends you, go to him quickly. Like right now. Be brave. Have an eyeball-to-eyeball -eyeball conversation. Because if you do, God will come and do things that God can do. It takes guts and courage to have tough conversations. But when you do, God acts on your behalf. I, I may have shared this story, but I, I, I tell a lot of stories from my childhood. Can I give you one reason why? The best time to learn the word is when you're a kid, and I want you to teach your grandkids these things. <laughs> it's a lot easier to learn these things when you're a kid than when you're like us, some of us. Anyhow, I'm 10 years old. My best friend is Mike Miller, and we are we're out having some fun, and, and we start to have a, I start to have a mud fight with these guys, and I see Mike Miller coming down the street. I thought, surely he wants to get sprinkled in mud. So I take a bunch of mud and go on my friend. He becomes furious. He comes up. Now, he's almost twice as big as me. He was already like 120 pounds in fifth grade. I mean, wow. And he jumps on me, and he's just beating the tar out of me, and we're screaming, and we're fighting, and finally they take him off, and, and basically we walk away like, I am never talking to you again, dude. I hate your guts, you know. And I go home, and I start processing this with my mom. Well, Dale, you know what the Bible says to do. You need to get over there and talk. No, I'm not going to talk to him. I might egg his house. <laughs> but Dale, the Bible says. And I'll never forget that. That was my first reconciliation conversation. And I'm a little kid. And I go over and I can't even remember all I said. Mike. It's something like, I, I, I was wrong. I'm sorry for creaming you with mud before I got your permission. <laughs> And, and he's all ready to fight, and he says, Wah. and then all of a sudden, we're just talking about everything. The next day, his dad was a vet who worked at Riodosa Downs, and he says, we want to take you on vacation with us to Riodosa for two weeks. It was the funnest vacation of my life. And I'll never forget, oh, my goodness, God, when I obey you, you do amazing things. When I go, you fight for me. When I do your will, you step in and you do things that only you can do. Let me tell you how you get courage. Number one, realize that when you're doing God's will, he will act on your behalf. Can I give you a declaration I make all the time? And this one will do you well. So you might want to write this one down or, or circle it. And that's very simple. If God calls you to walk through the Red Sea, he will always part the waters. When God calls you to walk through the Red Sea, you say, I don't know how to do that. I don't, I'm not brave enough. I don't know what I'm going to do. When you start to walk to the Red Sea because God told you to, God's going to part the waters. Amen. That's how you get courage. Number two, you get courage by caring more about pleasing God than being liked by people. See, this wasn't going to, she knew her husband would be furious about this. And, and again, can I just tell you about people who, who are reconcilers? Someone said of one man, I loved it. He feared God so, he, he feared man so little because he feared God so much. 
In other words, when you really start caring about what God thinks more than what people think, you'll, you'll go to a whole nother level of brave. You see, she wasn't concerned about everything being right. She was concerned about being righteous. She didn't even know if this was going to work out, but she knew in her conscience that she was doing the thing that would glorify God, no matter how it turned out. Can I just give you something here? Not every time you try to have a reconciling conversation, it's going to work out. Some people do not want to reconcile. <laughs> but can I tell you something? You can live with yourself if in all honor you did what God wanted you to do. And even if they don't reconcile with you, you are reconciled in your heart to them. And you can live in peace because you know you did what God wanted you to do. Amen? Courage looks like two things. Number one, take the first step. You're the first one to go. You know, the first one to apologize gets awards in heaven every time. <laughs> Have you ever been one of those things where you're waiting for your spouse? It's her turn to apologize, you know. <laughs> God says, no, you first. And number two, be open and real and take the risk of being vulnerable. What you see in, in her, she doesn't go with any weapons. She has no defense can I tell you how you reconcile relationship? You, you, you become an open and real and vulnerable person. This is just so big. 1 John 1, 7 says, if you walk in the light, you'll have fellowship with people, and the blood of Jesus will cleanse you. He's telling us about a kind of person that we don't like to be. Someone who's willing to say, I'm going to just be open with you right now. This is how that made me feel. This is what's going on. Here's who I am. See, we like to hide behind all kinds of defenses, manipulate and control, but, but God says, I want you to be real. I want you just to come, and I just want you to be that person who's honest and open and broken. You say, well, I don't want to be that. But you see, that's what Jesus was. Jesus says, I love you this much, and he died on the cross. He opened himself up to shame. He, he risked everything. He said, I'm going to just come. You never will have relationships that are from heaven until you learn how to just say, hey, here's, here it is. Here's who I am. Some of you have heard this, this old children's classic called uh, The Velveteen Rabbit, and it's about these toys becoming human. And, and I just love this one line. It's so famous. And, and in it, this, this skin horse character represents the wise and powerful one. And, and uh, so the rabbit comes and wants to ask advice. He says, he says uh, to it, he says, tell me what it takes to be real. How does real happen? The skin horse said, well, when a child loves you for a long time, and, and not just to play with you, but really loves you, then you start to become real. Does it hurt, asked the rabbit. Sometimes said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. But when you are real, you don't mind being hurt. And he says, well, does it happen all at once or bit by bit? Oh, it happens. It doesn't happen at once. You become real. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen to people who break easily or have sharp edges or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and you're very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. <laughs> Isn't that great? You see, what I'm talking to you about is not just about having better relationships. I'm talking to you about becoming like Jesus. Becoming like Christ. Who laid it all out. Secondly, boy, I got to go through this quick. Pray and prepare. Pray before you speak. How many know you should never speak while you're mad? <laughs> the Bible warns in every way. Before you address an issue, Matthew 7, 5 says, make sure you've taken the plank out of your own eye <laughs> so you can see to help someone get the speck out of there. There has to always be 
a time with the Lord where you say, God, show me my heart. I know what they did wrong, but God, what, what do you need to show me about me? Many times I say division is caused in relationship not because of an issue that's in the, in the conversation, but because of an issue that's in our heart. We're jealous, we're proud, we're bitter. And once, once God moves the mountains in our heart, the, the mountains in our relationship seem to just go away pretty easy. But we have to first be that person. How do you do it? You pray. You say, God, we're divided. And God, I don't want this to be the way that our, our relationship goes. I don't want to live in a family that has walls. God, I don't want to live walking on eggshells. God, help us. God, would you step into this? Come on, God. Would you move? Would you do something? And God, how do I need to change? And then number three, approach in a spirit of honor. It begins with our posture and tone and our gentleness and respect. Don't you love the way that Abigail comes? She she doesn't even bring her servants with her. She just comes alone. So, so she is not a threat. She leaves all the weapons at home and she just falls down. And she just comes in humility and empathy. I love what Proverbs 15.1 says. If you can look at that one, it says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Experts tell us that 60 to 70% of our communication is nonverbal. It's not what we say. It's how we say it. It's our tone. It's our posture. It's how we approach the issue, defensively or humbly. Proverbs says a harsh word. Interesting, looking up the word harsh, it means haughty, cynical, skeptic, uh, shaming. shaming. Um, it means... Uh, critical. It means someone who's quick to find blame, who's quick to point out what's wrong with you. And the Bible says if you bring those kind of words to the conversation, what you're going to do is stir up anger. But he says if you come humbly, if you come with a soft heart and a soft answer, God will bring healing. I just, I just love the fact, I tell people all the time, if you're going to go to one of these unifying conversations, unpack your bag. Say, I am not taking any bitter words with me into this conversation. <laughs> I'm leaving all of the arrows at home. I'm leaving all the sarcastic remarks. I am just not going to bring any history lessons with me. <laughs> you heard about the guy who said, I can't talk to my wife. She always gets historical. His friend said, oh, you mean hysterical. I said, no, historical. She's always bringing up the past, you know. If you're going to heal relationships, you can't be historical. You've got to be humble. You've got to have the right. Look at three things honor does. It looks for what is good and affirms that in the other person. It says, David, I know you're a man of God. It takes responsibility and asks for forgiveness. She said, forgive me. Man, I just wonder how many lives and relationships could have been saved by somebody simply humble enough to say, hey, that was wrong. I'm sorry. You know, it doesn't cost you that much, but it accomplishes everything. See, the, the problem is, you know, it's never 100% one person's fault, so we can always think of why they should apologize but God says, never think that way. Always take 100% responsibility for your part of the issue. Always clean up your side of the street. Don't worry about them. Take 100% responsibility for your 1%, 10%, whatever it is. Take responsibility. In fact, the Bible teaches us that the spirit of Christ would rather be falsely accused and blamed than to let walls grow. In 1 Corinthians 6, 7, I put this verse because Paul was talking to these people who were suing each other, Christians suing Christians, and he's saying, this is horrible. 
And, and, and look what he says. He says, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Isn't that an incredible verse? See, if you have the spirit of Christ, you say, okay, I'll be cheated if that's how God gets the glory. This is tough stuff. <laughs> Honor means looking for God's perspective and, and having a vision of what could happen if God gets his way in a relationship. I love what uh, Abigail says. It says, when the Lord has fulfilled his good word to you, you won't have it on your conscience that you took revenge. He be, she begins to affirm. See, when we're in the middle of conflict, all we think about is what happened. We don't think about what could be. And, and, and what God says, honor says, I have a vision for this relationship. God, right now this is hard, but what could it be if you got your way? What could you do in this relationship? God, if we got through this, we could be united. We could help other people who have problems. God, our kids could see an example of how healing works. God, you could change the atmosphere of our city, our world. We could change. We could have revival. God, I have a vision that's bigger than my pain right now. I have a vision of what unity could be in a situation, and God, I'm willing to go for that, even if it costs me some pride and ego on the way. It created room for dialogue. It created space to hear their heart, even if you don't agree with it. What I loved about Martin Luther King Jr., his vision for reconciliation wasn't one side winning. It wasn't, you know, that all of the white supremacists would be knocked off the earth or all the black people would take over for that. It was, we will be a nation where justice flows like a river, where all people are honored and respected. It won't be I win. It won't be you win. It means God wins. That's a vision that I will fight for and live for. God has a vision for that in all of our relationships. She makes a humble appeal I love this because this is a beautiful verse in 1 Timothy 5.1. It says, when you talk to someone, don't make demands, make appeals. <laughs> Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father. Talk to younger men as you would to your own brothers. I'm, I'm reading this. This is so funny. Yesterday, I'm reading this verse here in my office. Somebody comes knocking on the wall, door. Nobody's here, you know. And there's this elderly man, and he is mad. And he says, I want to know when you're going to do something. I just got my truck washed. But when I was driving by your property, that sprinkler on your property <laughs> sprayed my new truck. <laughs> and it was like I was, you know, okay, you know, whatever. All of a sudden, the Lord says, honor him as your father. <laughs> and I just began to say, I am so sorry. Come show me the sprinkler. Oh, my gosh. And uh, let him know, surely my wife will fix it. No, surely we will do something. <laughs> honor, honor, honor. What God can do is incredible. Let me just read this little testimony. Fred and Rochelle Brown gave me permission. They wrote this, gave this to me. Fred and Rochelle were married just a few years ago. They both had had previous marriages and were a blended family. Though they were sincere in their desire to build a Christian marriage with Christ in the center, they had lots of challenges and didn't know how to do it. Things came to a head about six months into the marriage. The Christian counselor they were seeing told them their situation was hopeless. Can you believe you pay for that? Anyhow, <laughs> they honestly felt like their situation was hopeless and they would never be able to come into unity and happiness the biggest issue had to do with a blind spot and deep wound that had occurred as a young boy with, within Fred with his father. Put, and he put, as a result, he put his kids in a wrong place above God in their relationship. Rochelle was hurt, depressed, and confused because she really felt God had told her on four occasions to proceed in marrying Fred. But now there was this impasse. In the natural, Fred's wound showed up as a blind spot which caused deep hopelessness and despair in both of them. Conversations would end in hostility, blame. A steel curtain would come slamming down. Thankfully, Jason and Sarah had attended Love After Marriage, and 
And Jason was able to lead Fred through some of the tools he had acquired, revealing a heart vow he had made in regards to his own father that in turn was hardening his heart towards Rochelle and causing him to be so passive and indulgent with his children. Then God gave Fred and Rochelle the opportunity to, to attend the Love After Marriage Conference themselves. This is where they both received deep healing from wounds of their past. Fred and Rochelle's heart was open to really ask Holy Spirit what was blocking their marriage and what he wanted to change. It was like the lights went on in Fred, and the Lord just revealed the mountain of separation that had caused, was caused by an attitude of fear, fear of losing his kids, of losing control and not being enough, and of his heart, 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 heart towards this issue. He prayed that God would forgive him, God would step in to reconcile and restore things in his relationship with Rochelle. He then went to her and with a humble heart acknowledged what the Holy Spirit showed him he had done that hurt her. He humbled himself, acknowledging what he had done and how he understood that that had made her feel, saying how sorry he was and asking for forgiveness. He also asked her to share more about how this had hurt her and any other thing that had made her feel unloved. Each thing she shared, he asked for forgiveness, asking to reveal the pain he had caused her. In doing so, Holy Spirit just fell on him, and tears of repentance flowed. The response in Rochelle's heart was overwhelming. She began to ask forgiveness as well. By coming completely in the light this way, the walls in their hearts were completely removed, and they began a journey together as one in a way they never knew was possible. Today, they are working together in leading our marriage enrichment ministry. God is using them in an incredible way to bring other couples into reconciliation and healing. Their testimony is that there are truly no mountains too big in a marriage or a relationship that God cannot move. God is waiting to bring miracles and growth into our relationships that will produce a life of joy, victory, blessing, and healing, not only for us, but for all of us who will receive from our healing for years to come. Amen and amen. Amen. Just in closing, this story is so special, not just because Abigail was amazing, but Abigail was a picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ stepped into the middle of our conflict. We, like Nabal, had all trespassed. We had all kinds of reasons for God to judge us. And yet, thank God that Jesus said, I will go in your place. I will take responsibility for what I had nothing to do with causing. I will come and take the wall that separates you from God. I will take your judgment. I will take your punishment. I will take the full guilt, the full blame, and I will bear it myself on a cross. And it won't end easily like it did for Abigail. No, I'll die. <laughs> Most cruel death. And from that cross, I'll be praying, Father, forgive them. But because of that death, you who were most separated and hopeless will become my bride. And through my mercy, you and all with you who trust in my name will be united and find my grace. Would you pray with me? If there's anyone here who needs reconciliation, before we can be reconciled with people, we have to be reconciled with God. Before we can have peace with others, we have to have peace with God. And if you don't have peace with God today, God made it so simple that if you'll believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you'll confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, you will be saved. Just come in a spirit of humility before the Lord right now in your heart and say, Lord God, I am so sorry. I've been wrong. I have sinned. I have gone my own ways. And I'm asking for your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for taking my place. I receive you now. Come into my heart. Wash me clean. Give me that relationship with you, God.
I need it, Lord. If you're making that commitment for the first time, would you please let us know in some way? You can fill it out a card. You can chat online. Love to know about it. Love to invite you to our, our 101 class next Sunday to get started with the basics of how to know God. Be an awesome way to begin your walk. So glad that the Lord touched you today. Could we all stand? And just finally as we go, there's going to be some of us here at front. I believe that God's speaking to some about beginning a journey of reconciliation with a friend, with a workmate, with a spouse, with a kid, with a parent, or somebody that you're estranged with today. And it's tough, and I know it's hard. But I wonder if you, in this closing moment, would say, Lord, I, I'm willing to take one step today. I'm willing to take that first step. I don't even know what it is, but whatever you show me is that first step. I am willing to take it today. And that first step is that, saying you're willing and asking God what he wants you to do and then going from there. If you're, you're there and you really need some help, we'd love to pray for you. We'll be here at the front afterwards and love to just pray about that situation with you. Or you can send in a request by email to our prayer line or leave a text on our prayer line. But we would love to be praying about relationships this week and how God could do something that so desperately needs healing. So, Lord, thank you that you're the reconciler, you're the healer, and you're the restorer of broken hearts, broken families, and broken relationships. We thank you for how you're going to do that this week in amazing ways. We love you, Lord. Bless your people as they go and serve you this week. In the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you for being at church and watching online. We'd love to pray for you. Have a beautiful week. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Heart for the World Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that God's Word has inspired you today in a way that will boost your faith greatly. We want to encourage you to visit our website at hftw.church and follow us on our social media. May God bless you richly.